take us back The place we began The simple pursuit Of nothing but you The innocence of A heart in your head God take us back Oh God take us back To an unswerving faith In the power of your name A heart beating for your kingdom to reign A church that is known For your presence again God take us back Good morning again. <laughs> I'm back. Hey, for those of you who are for announcements, my name is Mitchell. I'm not teaching this morning, so don't panic. Those of you who know me, you know, don't panic. Um, I'm just going to read our scripture. So we're continuing our Kingdom Come series in 1 Samuel today, and we're in chapter 17. So go ahead and turn there with me in your Bibles or on your phones or however you like to do that. Those are the only two ways I know, but maybe there are others. Um, and we're going to read this whole chapter. It's a really f- famous story, story of David and Goliath, probably one of the most known stories in the whole Bible. Um, but would just encourage you, as always, with something maybe that you've heard a lot before, to just, um, like we talked about earlier, just open your heart and really try to hear from God in a fresh way uh, as we read. Is everybody ready? Okay, cool. All right, let's read, starting in verse 1, um, reading from, this is, this is like chapter 16. Uh, see if we have chapter 17 on the slides. I'll go ahead and start reading either way, but... Um, We're going to start in chapter 17, verse 1. I'm reading from the ESV. It says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron and his shield bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. 
Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah, named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand, morning and evening. And Jesse said to David, his son, take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked to them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear... And took a lamb from the flock. I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised, uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor, 
He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried, to, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. So that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sharim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put his armor in his tent. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I don't know. And the king said, inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from striking down, from the striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Thank you, Mitchell. Well, hello again, church. This story familiar to anybody? Anybody heard the story of David and Goliath? Yes? Um, I believe most of us have. As we unpack it this morning, I want to talk to you this morning about the victory of God, namely um, living passionately for His fame. The victory of God living passionately for His fame. Our core truth for the day and the passage that we have focused on already and will continue to focus on is this. Jesus is our champion redeemer. 
bringing victory in our battles so that we might live a life free of bondage for the fame of God. Jesus is our champion redeemer. Bringing victory in our battles so that we might live a life free of bondage for the fame of God. I'm so excited to have the opportunity to um, talk about this story together. Um, Many of us know this story, but I think few of us probably know how to rightly understand and apply this story in our daily lives. And that's because I grew up in Sunday school, like many of you, anybody else have a chance to hear this story as a kid? And the way that I heard it taught, no offense to anybody who was teaching, was just not the way that I believe God wants us to rightly understand this story. And so today, we have opportunity to really approach the Word of God with sincere hearts to know Him and to really rightly understand and apply the Word that He's given us. Uh, Louis Giglio wrote a book called Goliath Must Fall. And it was a really good book. I read it years ago. And um, one of the things that he does in the introduction of the book is helps us to kind of see this story in real life, okay, in terms of like actually picture what's going on. So I'm going to do a little bit of retelling here because I really want this story to come to life a bit for us because it's really important, I believe, as you read the Word of God to like try to like imagine it, try to like understand like the, the real nature of, of what's going on and try to really see it for what it is. I know Michelle and I uh, a few years ago had the opportunity actually to go to the Valley of Elah And it was an incredible opportunity to actually stand in this place where this story um, is historically, like, um, based, and to actually see it come to life in some way, like, before our own eyes. So let's imagine together that you're in a valley. Uh, Picture it. There's kind of, like, small, like, rolling hills on either side of you, right? Ton of, like, tall kind of grass in the middle. And right, um, you know, it's stubbly. It's a little bit rocky. There's places where it's thorny. And, and right through the middle of the valley flows this, let's imagine it, right? It's this little, small, little brook, like a little babbling brook. One of my mom's favorite things in the world. Now it's Mother's Day. I can talk about it, right? She says, when I get old, I just want to, you just put me by a babbling brook, right? So imagine there's this small, little, like, babbling brook that flows right through the heart of the valley. But this day, as we're out there together in Allah, imagine that on both sides of the valley, on the base of either hill, you've got this, these armies, right? Flanking the valley are these, these two armies. The Philistine army is on one side of us, and the Israel army is on the other side of us. And at night, each of the armies goes, and they camp. And in the daytime, you see them wake up, and they arise toward the middle of the valley, and they just stare at each other. <laughs> They're just looking at each other, kind of getting ready almost for battle. But the two armies, as we look at them, right, they're not doing a whole lot of fighting. The Israel army is paralyzed, like completely stoic, like held back from making any advancement, the Scripture tells us. King of the Israel army, you can imagine this day, story opens, his stomach fills perhaps a little bit queasy. He stares off 
into the distance again like he's done, knowing it won't be long before shouts come again from the other side. He hears one of his servants rustling in the corner. He asks, how many days has it been? Forty, sir. Almost nervous to tell him anything but the truth, even though the king already knows the number. Forty days. Can you see him? Yeah, here he comes, right on time. It's a big, tall dude, about nine feet tall. Sometimes when we picture giant, I think like ogre, right? Um, just abnormally like tall, large dude shows up, begins to shout out, you, you going to come fight today or are you too afraid? Of course, this taunt we know from the scripture, nothing new here. But the soldiers turn and watch. A little bit afraid, a little bit uneasy, wondering what they're supposed to do, and yet they have no instructions to follow, no commands. And there's certainly no volunteers stepping up. They stare at each other. They stare at the Goliath, this tall dude. They hate him, but there's none brave enough to volunteer go out and fight him. Dude's big. I, I kind of picture as a kid he was hairy and he had tattoos. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> I kind of pictured that he smelled bad too. But we know that he's well armored. The scripture tells us that he's big. He's been impenetrable. And up to this point, he's been undefeatable. You babies! Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of your king, Saul? So let's have a battle. Whoever wins can win the whole thing. Come on. (laughs) No answers. Staring. Silence. Servant of King Saul, uh, do we have any reply for Goliath today? No. Not yesterday, or the day before that, or the day before that, or the week before that, not even six weeks ago, not today. No reply. Why? Because nobody in the army could defeat the giant. No one knew better than Saul. Everybody knew he was the tallest He was the bravest. He was the best soldier in the army. The most experienced one out there. So no is your answer, huh? (laughs) You worthless fools. You're powerless. You're weak. Just like your God. I defy you till you're ready to fight like men. Saul says to the servant, you've searched everywhere in the camp for the strongest fighters? I mean, how much is the reward right now? So much. No taxes 
You even promised your daughter. King turns around, heads back to the tent. Dejected. Frustrated. Defeated. One more day. Demoralized. Immobilized. Sunk. The sound of a single voice has completely shut them down. Now you tell me, pause briefly in the story. How many of us face this kind of situation though? Perhaps almost every single day of our lives. We might not be facing, okay, you might go, okay, wait a second, ain't no tall, tattooed, smelly guy coming to attack me, okay? I'm not talking about that. But do we not have issues going on in our life that sometimes feel insurmountable? Do we not have challenges that we face in our life that rip our hearts out? Yes or no? Yeah, we do. Fear. Addiction. Money. Constant fretting over it or love for it. Anger. Health. Rejection. Persecution. Complacency. You name it. We experience it. I wonder, have we ever felt like King Saul? Where you feel like this thing like stands before you. It's like you're constantly aware of it. And it just feels like it's like constantly like taunting you. Like harassing you. Like insulting you. Making you shrink back in fear. Like robbing you of freedom. Of power. Of advancement. Where you feel immobilized in ways. You've tried different approaches, and it feels like nothing works. You feel held back. You feel slowed down. You feel stopped. You know, you know, you know, you know, you know that you're not living the life that God wants you to live, the life that God has called you to live. You know that. It doesn't have to be huge. It could be small things. Whatever it is that stands in the middle of your life that demoralizes you and immobilizes you and causes you to stand on the sidelines day by day. And sometimes, you guys, this stuff is just, it could be sin, stuff that starts out small, right? Like a baby tiger. Aren't baby tigers cute? Like you get it initially and you're like, oh my goodness, it's a baby tiger, cute. And then it grows up and be a savage killer right? Some of our strongholds may be something that at one time we thought was a friend that we couldn't live without. We tolerated it at first, justified its existence, but now we're horrified that it's there. It's established a foothold. It's become a savage killer, a giant, so to speak. And these giants can harm us And these giants can rob the glory of God in our lives. All right, unpause, go back to the story. In walks a kid, right? A young 
a young boy. That's why I had Mitchell read the, the passage today. I'm just kidding. I love you, Mitchell. Thanks for letting me make that joke at your expense. I'm really sorry. Now I feel really bad. That is something that I need to think about in this sermon. Application for me, I get it, get better. Um, imagine you see this young boy, all right? And we know this young boy is David, who in the last chapter, chapter, seven, chapter 16, right? He's the guy that nobody expected. Even back in chapter 16, like not even his own dad was expecting that he would be anointed as the next king of Israel. He's so young. He's the youngest of the boys. He just was out there tending the sheep like, David? Like, seriously? And remember, we got the verse, but, but man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks upon the what? The heart. This is, this is the boy. So now we've got David who's showing up because, well, fortunately, help is on the way. And it's going to come from the most unlikely source. He shows up because his brothers are out there as part of the army. They're out there on the line. And as David approaches, he's hearing Goliath. Ha! You can't fight. Of course you can. You're weak. Your God is weak. And he's hearing Goliath taunt the people of God. He's seeing the immobilization of the army of Israel on the sideline. And he's, he's going, wait a second. Like, why is no one engaging this? Like, why is no one coming against this? Like, why is everyone just immobilized, shrinking back in fear, and just tolerating this? Why is no one remembering God? Like, remember God. Dude, where, what's going on here? And David, we see in the story, steps up. And he goes, I'll fight him. And everybody else in the army, you can just imagine his older brothers, right? Really? Okay, David. You know, you just brought the cheese and crackers, buddy. Thanks for the wheat thins and Oreos, but how about you go home to mom, right? We'll take care of this little, little guy. Um, it's just like, they're, they're like, seriously? Like, look at your size, man. Like, look at your training. Look at your equipment. Like, you're going to embarrass us, David, and you're going to get yourself hurt. Like, we failed before. Come on. And David, in the story, we read in the text, this, well, but guys, wait. Like, this is not about you. This is about God. And in verses 36 and 37, he goes on and he describes, like, I've seen God before. Like, I know our God is a victorious God. Like, I've seen him work in my life before. If I've had time of need, like, I've seen him deliver from a sheep from the hands of a bear. Like, this is about God, that God can do this. Well, Saul sees an opportunity. He goes, okay, you're going out there, buddy. He tries to give him armor, but the armor weighs him down. And they decide, David decides, I'm not going to take the armor. And he goes and he picks up a little slingshot. I mean, this story is kind of funny, guys, all right? There's a little bit of humor in it, okay? Y'all see the humor? He goes and he picks up a little slingshot. When I was out of the Valley of Law, there was this creek that was running through, and 
I went out and, and picked up the stones because I literally was like so excited to kind of see. I was imagining like it would be a little bit more impressive than it was. It is a literally a small little babbling brook, and the stones are really small. And it says he went up and he picked out like rounded stones, and he got the stones and he took his slingshot, and he goes out in the middle of the valley face-to-face with Goliath, who has immobilized the people for days, weeks on end. And he takes a stone, and he pulls back a slingshot, and it flies across, and it knocks Goliath in the forehead. And it's done. What is this story about? What is it about? <laughs> well, that, I'm glad you asked, because that's what we're going to talk about today, okay? The first thing that I think we've got to see in this story is this, that God wants us to know that it is possible for giants to go down cold. I'll say it again, okay? It's on the screen like this. Giants can fall. One of, the, one of the most important lessons that we can learn in this story is just to understand that like when we face giants in our life that taunt us again and again and again, sin, fear, addiction, all, whatever it is that in our life we face again and again and again, it feels like it has a stronghold in our life. And it feels like it immobilizes us. It paralyzes us. It makes us shrink back. It keeps us from living in the fullness of life that that God wants for us. In those areas of your life, when you face those things, God wants you to know that with his power, those things can fall. Do you believe that about God? Do you believe that with God it is possible? It doesn't matter the size of your problem. What matters is the size of our God. Maybe it's a string of giants. Whether it's one or whether it's many, giants can come down. Some form of bondage, some attitude that you feel like just cannot be shaken, some situation of difficulty that you're in, some relationship in your life that you feel irreparably damaged, some destructive thought cycle, some problem that is draining you, strangling you, damaging you, sin, law, death, suffering, disappointment, failure, criticism, hardship, none of these giants is a match for our God. (laughs) All of these giants can fall, and in the end, all of these giants will fall. Do you believe that? Our God is a great and awesome God, and He is able. And that's one of the main things we see from this story is David's going, remember God. Like, your God is a victorious God. He's a powerful God, all-powerful. He wants you to live free. He wants you to live without the chains that bind you. John 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that you might have life and life to the full. So friends, I just want to encourage you this morning. I love you. I care about you. I know 
that all of us in different things, areas of life are facing what feel like insurmountable battles, but I would just want to encourage you this morning that no matter how many times you've gone at this before, no matter how loud the voice seems to be, God says you can live free. He says that. Giants can fall. Now the big question here, how? And this is where I think we get the story completely wrong, okay? This is where I think so many times, like, we just, we just totally misunderstand what this story is all about. Um, in the end, and I do a podcast this week. It'll release either today or tomorrow. You could go online. Again, I encourage you every single week, there's supplemental teaching available at Transform for Impact, the podcast. And I do a little teaching this week to expand on this further. But in the end, there's only two ways that you can read the Bible. Is it basically about you or is it basically about God? Is it about you or is it about Jesus? In other words, is it basically about what you must do or is it basically about what he has done? This is so important. As your pastor, I am imploring you to really listen to me. There is a huge difference between how you approach the Bible in these two aspects. Is it about you or is it about him? Is it about what you must do or is it about what he has done? Now take this story, David and Goliath, as a prime example of how we so often mess up interpretation of the Scripture. If you read this story as an example, David's our example, then what happens is this story basically is about you. This story is about me. So I must summon up faith and find courage to fight the giants in my life. You can do it if you try. You expect maybe I preach it like that. You're, you're young. You're like him. You, you go get stones. You can do it, right? Throw the stones at the giants at your life. The bigger they come, the harder they'll fall. So just go out to your battles with faith in the Lord. You may not be real and powerful yourself, but with God on your side, you can overcome giants. Y'all ever heard this story applied like that? Yes? I'm seeing a lot of yeses. The problem is, we get brave, we can redouble our efforts, try to tackle the problem, but soon enough we realize what? The giant is back. Anybody ever experienced this before? Anybody? Cared it a bit? And the cycle continues. There's a big twist in this story. In this story, you are not David. <laughs> Jesus is. This story, see, how do you see yourself into stories like this? That's what I'm trying to say. How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as David in the story? Well, if you do, I've got good news for you. You're not David. This story is not about us trying to be like David. This story is meant to be a, a foretelling of Jesus. It, in this story, David is not us. Jesus is. Jesus is in that role of David. See, if I can read David and Goliath as about showing me salvation through Jesus, then I have a right interpretation of the story. I can see the story is basically about him. 
So how you go, well, how do, wait, what? How do we see a foreshadowing of Jesus? Well, here's how it is. The story is telling us that the people of Israel, the Israelites, cannot go up against Goliath. They cannot do it. Again and again and again and again, they cannot do it. There is a problem that they face, a challenge that they have, a voice that they hear, an insurmountable moment, an obstacle that's causing them to shrink back in fear. And again and again and again, they come to terms with the fact they cannot do it. What do they need? They need a substitute. (laughs) When David goes in on their behalf, he's not a fully grown man. He's a weak, a vulnerable figure, a mere boy. And he goes virtually, if you think about it, as a sacrificial lamb. Go ahead. But God uses his apparent weakness to destroy the giant. And in so doing, here's what happens. David becomes Israel's champion redeemer. That's why the main point is what it is. Jesus is our champion redeemer. And what happens is the victory that David wins by his championship over Goliath is now imputed to Israel. In other words, the victory that David accomplished on their behalf, now everyone has opportunity to enjoy. He gives it. He shares that victory freely with the people of God. They get all of the fruit of having fought the battle themselves. Amen? This is how to see the story rightly. As we go to the Bible We find out what we must do, but quickly what we realize, okay, this giant has to be overcome. You're in a good place if you recognize your battle. But where where things often go wrong is, is the second piece of it is like we have to recognize what we cannot do. And that's where in this story, like the Israelites were needing to come to a point of recognition they can't do it without a champion redeemer stepping in on their behalf. But the Bible always is pointing us to Jesus to show us how Jesus has done it. And then the Bible encourages us to come to Jesus to recognize how through Jesus we can also, like the people of Israel, we can receive from what he has done in full. Everybody, make, everybody understanding this? Making sense? Jesus fights our battles for us. Jesus stares down the face of impossible odds. Jesus selects the stones. Jesus takes the aim. Jesus shoots, and Jesus is victorious. Giants fall in our life because of the person and the work of Jesus. God didn't bring victory because David was the right man. David was really brave. David defied the odds. David was a good shot. I literally heard a sermon recently on this story that made me want to puke because they were literally going, be like David, take a good shot. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? That is no recipe for success 
as people of God. This story, this victory did not come because of anything with David. It, it came because of Jesus. And ultimately, David is quick after the victory, even before the victory, to say, this is happening today, not so you would think that we are great people. We are not. This is happening today because we have a great God. This is happening for God's fame. This is not anything that I'm doing. This is what God is doing on our behalf. Tim Keller says this, until you see that Jesus fights the real giants, sin, law, and death for you, you'll never have opportunity or the courage to be able to fight ordinary giants in life like suffering, disappointment, failure, criticism, hardship. For example, how can you ever fight the giant of failure? Anybody ever feeling like you're fighting against feelings of failure? What he says is, how can you fight the giant of failure unless you have deep security that God will not abandon you? If I see David as my example, the story will never help me fight the failure, the giant of failure. But if I see Jesus as my substitute, like David, whose victory is imputed to me, then I can stand before the giant of failure. Another one, how could you ever fight the giant of criticism? Anybody ever feel like they battle against criticism in their life and it's just destroying them, right? How could you ever do that unless you recognize that Jesus has fought the greater battle? Until you see Jesus forgiving you on the cross, how would you ever, for instance, be able to forgive others? Until you see him forgiving you, how could you ever forgive others? See, what we've got to see is Jesus fighting our battles victoriously and then coming into relationship with him to recognize that it's all about him and it's all about deep dependence on him. Okay, so what, what then needs to happen? Our battle strategy, friends, is this. Worship. You want to know how to fight your battles? Worship. Learn to worship. The popular moral of the story is get out there and face your giant down because the courageous come out on top. But that's not what the story is about. It's true that David is courageous. It's true that courage is a great virtue. But when he faced Goliath, his courage was a derivative virtue. It was being empowered by something else. And that something else is God. In other words, what we're saying is we've got to change our focus. We have to change our focus to God, to God, to God. We have to have something to focus on as we fight battles. And that's what I'm saying. Our focus has to be worship. Worship. We have to come to a point like David. See, the, the people before him had lacked courage because they lacked faith. What made David different? What made, different, what made him different is that he had a confidence that came because he was focused upon God. He was focused upon God's 
promises, and he was focused upon God's power. David was God-confident, not self-confident. He had no confidence whatsoever in himself. He had deep, deep confidence in God. I wonder, you know, what keeps you up at night? What keeps you afraid on the sidelines? I wonder if you know that Jesus is on your side. Jesus is fighting for you. Jesus has won the victory. Look at his life lived in righteousness to be imputed to you, not by anything you've done, but by what he has done for you. Look at his death, died in your place to forgive you, to give the love of God again to you, to restore relationship with God with you by cleansing you of sin and all unrighteousness, imputing to you, giving to you his victory over sin, death, and Satan himself, not because of anything you've done, but because of what he's done. He picked up the sling, he picked out the rock, he shot the arrow, and he's victorious in his life and his death, given freely as a gift of his grace. And in his resurrection from the dead three days later, he gives total victory over all things. He is our champion redeemer. He's our champion redeemer, friends. He has won. He's defeated every foe, and he invites you, come and see what I have done. Come and receive from my sufficiency. Come and deeply, deeply, deeply Put your confidence in my promises. Put your confidence in my provision. Put your confidence in my power. Rest in me. I am your champion, redeemer. And like our main point says, I bring victory in battle so that you can live a life free of bondage. And the last point here, for the glory of God. At the end of this, if we fight our battles this way, yes, Jesus wants our joy. He does. He came that you might have life and life abundantly. He wants you to live a full and a free life. He does. But friends, on the other side of him giving and giving and giving, that we might have fullness and freedom in him, our joy might be found full and complete in him. On the other side of that, as we find great joy in him, he receives great glory from our lives. The point of this story is that as we rest in confidence upon him, as he fights our battles for us, we get to live free, but he gets to live famous in our life. Our testimony is not, you know, this is what I did, this is what I did. No, our testimony is constantly, this is what God has done. This is what God has done. This is what God has done. This is what God has promised. This is how God has been powerful. This is what God has provided in Jesus. This is what God has done. And the story of our life is a story of God's liberation in us and through us. So I just want to encourage you today as our worship team comes and we move to a close, I just want to encourage you today toward Jesus. Jesus, like our main point said, is our champion redeemer. He brings victory in our battles so that we might live a life free of bondage for the fame of God. I just want to ask you, you know, in what area of life today do you need to just wholly rely on Jesus? Some of us, as we fight battles, um, I don't know, maybe first thing is just to name the battle that you face. I believe you know what God wants. Um, 
but maybe the first thing is just to acknowledge, like, this is my Goliath. <laughs> this is the thing that's making me feel queasy. This is the thing that I don't know how to overcome. This is the voice that I keep hearing in my head. This is the fear that I keep feeling in my bones. This is what is immobilizing me, paralyzing me, keeping me back. Maybe the first thing is just to acknowledge that before God and just to say, God, this is, this is it. Like, I know it is. This is it. But the second thing is to recognize, like, that what's needed to be done, like, you can't do. You can't do. The point is not for you to step in and try to fight like David. The point is to recognize you can't do it. Only Jesus can. You get out so Jesus can get in. And you go to Jesus and just say, I, I need a substitute. I need one who will fight on my behalf. I need one who will slay the giant completely. And I believe, God, you can do it. I believe you're able. I believe you're willing. And I look to Jesus, and I see in Jesus my champion redeemer. I see, God, that you came and you lived and you died in my place, and you went to the grave and you rose again so that you can bring total victory. You, you fired, you aimed and fired, and you're victorious. The battle's won. And I believe, Jesus, you've done it on my behalf as my substitute. And now you impute to me, you give to me your victory as a gift. So I'll put my confidence today, not in what I can do to fight this battle, but God, I'm going to put my confidence in you. I'm going to put my trust in you. Today you can do that as we respond. Just put all your confidence and all your trust in Jesus. As our prayer counselors come online, you can find a way to reach out to prayer counselors right there on your screen. But this morning, as we respond to God, we have opportunity just to put all of our confidence in Him and to fight our battles on our knees by depending wholly on Him, who He is, what He's done, what He's provided, what He's promised, what He's able to do. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for being our champion redeemer.